Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, we are less than 48 hours removed from WWE Extreme Rules with the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Benini are here to break down everything else that happened this week from WWE SmackDown, preceding Extreme Rules, and WWE Raw on Monday night following Extreme Rules. We do have an instant analysis of the WWE pay-per-view in our show archives. So if you have not heard our reaction, our takeaways, our analysis from Extreme Rules, please do not forget to go listen to that show. We know these are pretty close back-to-back, but there's a ton of takeaways and a ton of thoughts about Extreme Rules, the finish to Roman Reigns versus the Demon, Finn Balor, Becky Lynch versus... Who the hell did she even fight? I'm, I'm forget- I know Sasha Banks interfered. Why am I forgetting Bianca Belair? Um, yeah. Just totally slipped my mind right there. Um, there, it was a it was a huge loaded show. A lot of good stuff happened. A couple of bad things happened. We discuss it all on that Extreme Rules instant analysis. So do not miss that episode. Also, please do not forget that getting over. So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show. Uh, Tell your friends and family. Word of mouth is important too. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We have an absolutely loaded week. I already mentioned the Extreme Rules Instant Analysis. It's in the books. It's waiting for your ear holes if you have not heard it yet. Today, we are talking SmackDown and Raw. And there's actually plenty that happened on SmackDown that was unrelated to Extreme Rules that we're going to go over on today's show, Raw. Oh, we'll talk about that in a moment. I thought it was the best episode of the year and one of the best episodes we've had in a year. Um, we also have a lot more coming this week. On Wednesday night, as soon as AEW Dynamite goes off the air, we will have our latest AEW and NXT show. We're going to talk Dynamite, Rampage, and NXT. And then Thursday afternoon, Chris and I will drop a very special WWE mock draft episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And on that show, we will also give our review and thoughts of Dark Side of the Ring, Plane Ride from Hell. I know you guys have been waiting for that. So it is officially a four episode week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We got one in the books. We got to get into this one. So let me welcome Chris into the show. Chris, thanks, of course, for joining us. I wanted to, before we get into the main event, before we get into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do a quick overview of Raw and SmackDown, um, not just coming out of Extreme Rules, but going into the draft. Because Raw on Monday night, and I kind of gave it away a little bit ago, but it was really freaking good. And we have had three straight weeks, consecutive weeks, of very good Raw episodes. I'm not going great. They were not great necessarily. All were exceedingly entertaining for the vast majority of the three hours. And this one, so many different people got on television. There were so many people I was excited to see. It had me entertained. The wrestling, the in-ring product was very good. I never felt bored during the entire show. We got to give credit where it's due. We got nine to 12 months of pure dog shit from Raw. Let's just be honest about it. It's been a terrible wrestling show. It was of the four 
now five shows if you include Rampage, it had been the lowest ranked if we were going to do a ranking of them. It seems like they figured something out, or maybe it's just the NFL and Monday Night Football knowing the competition they're getting, really motivating them. Do I love a main event at 8 p.m. every week only for shenanigans to happen, and then it gets restarted in the actual main event of the show at 10.30? That's going to wear on me as a viewer if they keep doing it every single week. But it has worked, to their credit, the last couple of weeks, and I think the draft is a huge opportunity to replenish that roster and keep this momentum they have going. More than anything, they're just doing important things on TV and just stuff is happening. And just for for most of the year when, when it came to Raw, it was just like more rematches, more just nothing mattered. There were more rematches per episode than there were original matches per episode. Yeah, it was it was just it was just nothing mattered. And now we've gotten three straight weeks now where you're getting stuff that matters. We've had a money in the bank cash in, we had w- uh, women's tag team titles change, we had a WWE championship match twice, we had a cage match, we had the Bloodline versus the New Day. Like this is what and I, I again, I don't think this is in response to AEW. I think it's in a response to football, but what AEW often does is just like give you fun stuff you want to see and just figure it out as it goes along. And that's what Raw has done the last three weeks. They're just giving us really good stuff that they know we want to see and just, you know, essentially just giving the fans what we want. If you look at the card of this episode of Raw, I mean, you said you thought it was one of the best episodes of the year. I thought it was very, very solid. Honestly, it probably should have been even better than it was if you look at the card. It should have been better, yeah. You you see Riddle and AJ, and like, how do you not like build that up as like a massive, massive thing? You've got Ricochet versus um, Reggie, which could have been really fun and wasn't. So like, they're they're not fully there, but they're clearly just like, let's have things happen on Raw that matter. Let's give people things they want to see. And surprise, surprise, we like it. It was even Charlotte Flair versus Dewdrop where I was like, you know what? Yep. I was like, I want to see this. Yeah. I want to see this match. And and to your point, we didn't get it, right? So there were still plenty of WWE-isms on the show. And there were actually a couple of rematches on the show. But it just worked all together because the thread of the show was so exciting. The energy, the crowd was so excited by the opening segment, it carried them through the rest of the show. That's what you get when you don't just have a promo that ends with a second promo and then goes to commercial. And then you say, okay, tune in three hours later or two and a half hours later and watch that match that we promoted in the first half hour. Again, I don't know that this formula of match and then rematch in the main event or different match, but with similar people, I don't think that's sustainable every single week. But in this circumstance, it worked. We'll talk about um, Biggie versus Bobby Lashley in the main event of this show. Uh, it definitely did work, though, but I'm excited about this draft because the one thing about Raw that's been constant has been the roster has been nowhere near as good as SmackDown's roster for a long time. But what yeah. I will tell you is that the injection of Big E into the roster and Big E becoming WWE champion on its own helped Raw massively. It is a, it feels like a totally different show that now that we're not dealing with Lashley and or Drew McIntyre, which is what the vast majority of the last nine to 12 months, really longer since dating back to last year's WrestleMania with Drew, that's what it's been. It's been one of those two guys basically on top 
with the exception of Miz for two weeks and Orton for one month, right? So it 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 feels fresh already. And now if you're going to feed a couple people from SmackDown, a couple people from NXT over there, all of a sudden Raw, it's looking pretty good. Like it's looking like a show that we're going to get excited to watch as long as they keep up the momentum. SmackDown, I also want to talk about before we get into the main event. I thought it was a very good go-home show for Extreme Rules. Everything hit, but I had two major issues on, on the show. One were the women's matches, which were atrocious, and they were bad solely due to booking and not anything the wrestlers did. It was not their fault. What also stood out to me is how many video recaps WWE played. It mm-hmm. felt like there was one before every single segment. I literally saw there was one point in the show. We saw a video recap before a wrestler in the ring cut a promo recapping what was in the video. WWE, by doing this, actively takes time away from its SmackDown performers, and it doesn't give the fans wrestling just so it can show videos of shit that already happened seven days ago. You want to do one or two recap videos and maybe you do it instead of doing a segment? I'm fine with that. But to do it eight times in a show, plus all of the commercials we get on Fox, it leaves no time for new shit on SmackDown. And those are some of the reasons why these women's matches only get two to three minutes. It's honestly infuriating that a consistently good, often great show like SmackDown doesn't allow its wrestlers to wrestle. And that's what we saw this past Friday. Yeah, there's a line between catching people up who maybe have been out for a week or so versus completely pretending you have a pretending you have a completely new audience every week. Exactly. You got to have you got to have some sense of oh wait, what what am I missing here? This is interesting. Let me go do some research to figure out what happened. You you got to you got to make it feel like it's an ex- it's a bit of an exclusive club to know what's going on so then you want to catch up. You you can't treat everything like it's completely brand new people. Hey, here's everything that's going on. WWE often has that problem with its show opening promos when it'll recap what happened the night before. So like coming off of a pay-per-view. So yeah, that was, it it was too much. You got to make it, you got to make yourself feel like the cool thing that people are just watching. Be like, wait, what is this thing? I need to figure out what this is and not hold their hand. Exactly. And look, let's be honest. These shows, all of them, Raw, SmackDown, maybe AEW's, it's gained some audience, but it's, it's you know, who knows if it's how long it's going to last and how consistent it's going to be. Raw and SmackDown, the same for Raw, you know, 1.8 to 2 million people are watching every week. And for SmackDown, right. the same 2 to 2.3 million are people are watching every week. They don't need their handheld. And for the 100,000 that may watch or not watch, then you show them a couple video packages to keep them up, but you don't do it for every single segment. It's it's no, really you, getting ridiculous. You hold your hand when you have something like CM Punk's return and you have a bunch of people watching wrestling who have not watched wrestling in a long time. Right. And you say, you know, if, if there's something big going on or something big just happened. This coming think, this coming you Friday. You have a bigger. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. This coming Friday, Roman Reigns and, and the demon, you're going to want to show the still the still photos from the pay-per-view of the rope break and the demon stuff and all that, because you're going to want to explain in case people didn't watch the pay-per-view, you know, what's going to happen on the show, what we're going to discuss. That's a perfect thing. Sasha Banks returning. That makes sense too. But the other stuff, I don't need a clip. I don't need anything 
of the Usos versus the Street Profits, right. you know, from that pay-per-view. The Usos won, they retained the title. That's all that happened. I don't need further explanation going into the TV show. That's that's yep. what I'm getting at. Okay, uh, that was one of our longer intros. Uh, we got plenty of show left, though. Don't get me wrong. So let's not waste any more time. Let slide into the main event. And we are starting, man, this soundboard is going to get worn out today, let me tell you, because we are starting the way every show should start. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> we wanted to see it, Chris. We didn't just get it once. We didn't just get it twice. We got big meaty men slapping me three different times on Raw Monday night. So let's start where Raw started, which was the opening of the show, the WWE Championship match. Biggie versus Bobby Lashley. He got the first shot. Lashley dominated him outside of the ring with the helicopter into the post, throwing him into the steps. There was a toss suplex in between from Biggie. USA, I loved this, gave us a very short picture in picture commercial break. It was really nice for a change. It wanted to keep people on there and they didn't want them to flip over to Monday Night Football while WWE Championship match is going on. That is how it should be every single time. Lashley. Yep. Knocked Biggie off the top rope outside with a huge shot. He maintained heavy momentum. Lashley thwarted a big ending, but ate the tope spear from Biggie outside. But when Biggie landed, he landed at someone's feet. They pan up and they show Shelton Benjamin in a hurt business shirt. And then they pan back and they show Cedric Alexander in a hurt business shirt. Lashley took advantage of Biggie's surprise with a spear. But New Day ran in to attack Hurt Business at ringside. And when they attacked them, I think it was Kofi and Alexander, their momentum brought them into the ring, which rolled them on top of Biggie and Lashley, causing a disqualification. Biggie dumped Lashley over the barricade. Adam Pierce came out. He declared this match would happen on Raw. It would finish and it would be settled inside a steel cage. Biggie cut a hell of a promo later. Lashley did too. His wasn't as good, but it was still okay. Holy shit, Chris, was this hot. I didn't give a shit about the disqualification because they booked it in a way, just like with Sasha Banks at Extreme Rules, where this one was, hap I'm sorry, that one was purposeful, obviously, but this one was happenstance. Kofi did not come in to purposely disqualify Biggie from the match and, and give Lashley the win or whatever, however they would have decided it from, from a technicality standpoint. It was just brawling that happened to interfere with the match, I thought that was creative. And then on top of that, we get the Hurt Business back. Not only that, but they teased it on social media when MVP was on a flight two weeks ago. He was sitting next to Shelton Benjamin and he tweeted, talking <laughs> business. So they actually alluded to it and gave it to us. Now, do I love personally that uh, they didn't mention it on TV before? Or we didn't show MVP talking to Shelton backstage or something like that. No, of course not. You know, I, I would have preferred that. That would have been better. But MVP is having surgery. There's only so much you can really do. I thought this was such good shit. Such good shit. We got to start with the Hurt Business stuff here. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I like that it was a surprise. You had mentioned the MVP tweet. I had not seen that. That's all the alluding I need. I don't want to see him backstage because then it's telegraphed. It is. So That's true. I, I like that it was. I like that it was a surprise. I'm a big surprise guy. Two, the camera work to reveal them. 
I mean, how Incredible. often does WWE typically do, wait a minute, why are Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander coming down the ramp here? Not just that, acting like they don't know who it is. Wait, 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 someone's running down the ramp. Who is yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's guys who like, are under your employ that you've seen a million times, yeah. Like, it's like the crowd didn't see him either. Like, there was just, like, no reaction to it, and then they're just standing there, and I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, love it, love it, love it. You know, when Biggie won the title, he had said he'd love to do New Day versus Hurt Business. Who knows if that's coming? But man, if that helped WWE decide to put them back together or something, I don't know. I, I really hope this is not a one-off for this match. I hope there's more, but loved seeing it. Again, just giving us something that we all liked, just giving it back to us was was, was awesome. And the, the match itself, a lot of fun. You're kind of wondering how it's going to end because you're like, well, are they really going to do this in, in the first you know, half hour of the show? you know, New Day come up, they break it up. You're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, okay, they're going to do New Day versus her business main event of the show. And, but you think- That's what oh, I figured be, too, agreed. Yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, it's going to be like last week. Okay, that's not bad. I, I, I like it, I like it. But no, they do something different. And they don't just give us the title match. They put it inside a steel cage. Like, they go all the way, you know what I mean? And, and Adam Pierce sold it. Adam Pierce sold it. The whole thing just, it, it honestly worked for me completely. And yes, you're right. The Hurt Business coming back together. I mean, holy crap, right? I mean, it was, it was, I love that sound drop. We, we don't play that enough. Um, Man, it was great. And like, okay, we talk about WWE doesn't listen to the fans. I don't know whether they listen to us here or not. You know, sometimes they just do things and decide things on a whim. But it seemed like they did. It seemed like they understood. People were really pissed off about the Hurt Business. And by the way, in kayfabe, like I saw people online, because God forbid WWE do anything exciting without people trying to poke holes in it. But I saw people online, this doesn't make any sense. Lashley beat the shit out of them. They said, you know, screw you. And, and you know, they didn't want to work with Lashley anymore. Why would they join back? Um, I don't know, a couple of reasons. Maybe because Shelton and Cedric haven't done shit since they departed yeah. from Lashley, Cedric's running around with the 24-7 title uh, or, you know, trying to trying to win that. So it makes sense why they would want him back. And I don't know, maybe Bobby Lashley realized it's nice to have someone having your back. Uh, and there are situations where I can utilize that like this one or like all the other times, like like the money in the bank got cashed in on him. If he had the hurt business, mm -hmm. he probably wouldn't have been able to cash in the briefcase. Right. So I don't know. To me, it makes perfect sense why the Hurt Business would be back with Lashley. Do I wish there was a promo on the show? I do. When Lashley right. cut his backstage promo, I would have liked then Cedric Alexander and Benjamin to be by his side, just like New Day were there with Big E. I, I would have loved to have Lashley said, I realized, you know, ca cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase on me. Um, you know, you can't just have your own back. You got to have people watch your back. MVP's not here. I needed my boys back. They were here for me. I'm going to be there for them. Just something yeah. really simple like that would have even elevated it even further for me. I loved the opening, though. I did. At, at the very least, you know, if this was added to Dara, Jim Ross would have said, well, I'm not sure why Cedric and Shelton are back, but we're going to send someone backstage to try to figure out what's going on. Yes. And, and, and maybe you don't figure it out. Maybe we don't figure it out this week. But just like an acknowledgement that we are trying to figure out what's going on as, as again, like this is why I said at the beginning of the show when it was a really good episode of raw, but like 
just a handful of things they could have done to make it like even better. That's an example. If it's a promo explaining, if it's a, Hey, we're going to tell you next week. If it's a, Hey, we're trying to figure it out. I don't know. Just some sort of acknowledgement beyond their back for some reason uh, would have, I think just helped a little bit. Exactly. Yes. So it, it was probably the return of the hurt business was probably, I don't know, a seven and a half out of 10. They could have given us a nine. They yeah. just, they just didn't get us there, but still it was very good. So we move on to the actual main event of the show, which happened in the 10.30 p.m. half hour. The WWE Championship on the line for the second time in one night. Big E versus Bobby Lashley inside a steel cage. And when you are inside a steel cage, you got to do one thing in particular. And the beef flew in the main event of Raw. Lashley attacked E. As he got in the cage, destroyed him outside into the barricade, into the steps, the ring post with the helicopter again. Then Lashley picked up the steps and drove them into Biggie's back. The champion limped into the ring, demanded the bell be rung, and caught Lashley running at him with a Uranagi for a half count. Lashley countered a big ending, and then Biggie escaped a potential hurt lock. Lashley tried to climb out, but Biggie attempted an avalanche big ending, but Lashley turned it into a dragon sleeper, and Biggie passed out. Lashley tried to climb out again, so E banged his head off the steel. Then E tried to climb out and Hurt Business ran down to knock him off the top. Lashley tried to exit the door when Xavier Woods ran in from out of nowhere, slammed it on his head. Woods then super kicked Cedric Alexander as Kofi climbed the cage to knock Shelton off before doing a trust fall from <laughs> basically the top of the cage onto the three guys. Holy shit, what a spot that was. That was incredible. Both teams got ejected from ringside, which by the way, should have been the stipulation Going into the match, I understand why they did it. They wanted a commercial break. It made sense. But Adam Pierce, he's all hyped up, setting up a steel cage match. All he really needs to say is, and both teams are barred from ringside. You know, it would have made sense to do it that way. Anyway, they come back from commercial. Um, Lashley hits a superplex on Big E. The champion hit three straight belly to belly suplexes, but Lashley countered the running splash with a spear for a 2.5 count. So Lashley um, didn't get his finisher, you know, to, to win the match and Biggie was able to kick out of it. Lashley tried to escape through the door again, but Biggie dragged him in, hit the big ending for a 2.5 count. So now Lashley has kicked out of Biggie's finisher. Biggie went for the door. Lashley stopped him with an almighty spinebuster. Lashley climbed again. Biggie hit him in the gut 10 different times with his elbow and then hit a ridiculous avalanche big ending, a bigger ending, a very big ending, whatever the hell you want to call it, for the clean pinfall and title retention. Holy shit, again, this is everything you could have wanted. This is the definition of... Oh, we got two big, meaty men bumping me tonight. We got two big, meaty men. They didn't bump me once. They bumped me twice in one night. We got to see it. The match was fantastic. The attempted interference was good, as was the thwarting of it with Kofi and Woods both looking incredible in that moment. There were a ton of big moves in near falls. Biggie and Lashley kicked the shit out of each other. It was, huh, I kind of want to go a little overboard. I think it was a 4.25 star A match, but on my brand new introducing for the first time meat scale, this was 4.5 slabs of beef. Biggie retaining was a no brainer. Lashley ate an avalanche version of the finisher to justify the loss. And you have to assume that her business is off to SmackDown. Chris. This was great. I like the meat scale. I, I like that this is a We're, new thing we got to we got to keep going here. 
And and I agree. I agree with the ranking. And it was uh, again, Lashley looks better for having competed in this match and just like having had a great match. So I, I I'm so glad they had Biggie win. I was so worried we were going to get something goofy at the end. And this is really this is two straight weeks in a row where Lashley has been pinned clean. But I really don't think it hurts him because of what they've built him up to be. And obviously, he may move now because of the draft. and whatnot. He got pinned so, in the pay-per-view, too, three times in as many yep, matches. Yep. So, so uh, actually, no, and, and four times, four times in three weeks because of the cash-in. So, um, but I, I, and I really, it, it, that's a lot, but I really don't think it impacts our view of Lashley because he's been having great matches. Bobby Lashley has been a tremendous professional wrestler throughout this whole title reign. And so big props to those guys for putting on a hell of a match. That is a pay-per-view main event quality match. We just got on free TV. You know, appreciate that. Love the cage dynamic. They played off it well. Just tremendous, tremendous stuff all around. And I I agree with that rating on the meat scale. That could have main evented, to your point, any pay-per-view. Yep. And we got it as a raw main event. Holy crap. What's interesting is what happened after the match. Even more interesting. As Drew McIntyre's music hit, he pointed his claymore. I still hate the sword. Please stop with the sword. He points it directly at Big E. And then he waves it in the air. And he points it at him again. Now, McIntyre coming out to challenge Big E. It does make a lot of sense from a kayfabe standpoint. Because McIntyre couldn't challenge for the title again as long as Lashley was champion. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's a face-on-face deal. I could have sworn McIntyre was off to SmackDown in the draft. Maybe this is just going to be to boost next week's show to get a really big title match on next week's Raw, knowing it's the draft. Or maybe they're going to book this for Crown Jewel to put a WWE title match on the line at that show with two big names, two big faces that people are going to get excited about. Either way, it's going to be a banger. But I'm really curious to see what the storyline explanation will be for it and how they're going to do it. Because, you know, it seemed initially for a long time that Drew McIntyre was going to move over to SmackDown. Now it seems like Bobby Lashley and the Hurt Business are going to move over to SmackDown. I don't think it would make any sense to have both people move over to SmackDown. Because then SmackDown's Raw, you're just going to trade a couple people over to Raw. And honestly, I don't even know who you would trade over. Like maybe Finn Balor now that he's lost to Reigns and the Demon and this whole thing was convoluted and messy, I would say Rollins, but Becky Lynch is going to be over there unless you're going to move both of them and then change the title in a title swap like they did with New Day and the Usos. Uh, sorry, not the New Day and the Street, Street Profits, Profits. Uh, last year. So I, I don't know who they could move back if they take both Lashley and McIntyre over to SmackDown. But what I will say is in the moment it was exciting and I'm not going to judge it until we get a little bit more explanation next week. Yeah, exactly. I, I when McIntyre came out, I was, my first reaction was, "Ooh, here's a new matchup. Here, here's here's more big meaty men slapping meat. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I I'm excited to see it. And I and I honestly didn't mind the sword. We haven't seen Drew for for a few weeks now, maybe like a month or something. Maybe since SummerSlam. I, I don't really know. No, so, so he was on he was on in a six man with the Viking Raiders, and then the last two weeks. He's been over in Europe doing the international right. tour. Right. So it's just like, oh, okay. Like we just, we, we took a step away from McIntyre. He's been out of the main event picture for a, a number of months, months now. Yeah. yeah. And so 
he's off TV for a couple weeks. That does wonders for just a guy feeling fresh when he comes back against a fresh opponent. So I, I didn't mind the sword point. I My whole thought at the end was, I just can't wait to see this match. I don't know what the story is going to be. You know, WWE has just been giving us great matches the last handful of weeks. I hope they give it to us next week on Raw. I, I, I'd much rather prefer that than Crown Jewel because I don't want anything on Blood Money in the Sand over there. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'm willing. Now, here's a crazy statement. I'm willing to give Raw a little bit benefit <laughs> of the doubt right now. Me too. Me too. That's what these last three weeks have done, where yeah. it's like, oh, they're going to give us good stuff, so maybe they will. So it, I'm when you, curious when you now. Put I'm, not on, dreading, I'm not dreading how they're going to screw it up. When you put on good or at least much better television, it engenders goodwill. That's why mm-hmm. so many people, when it comes to SmackDown, when it comes to AEW and for a long time NXT, they trusted that even if there's something they didn't like, Maybe it'll work out. And it often would. Um, and that's even why with Roman Reigns and Finn Balor, I didn't even get, I'm, I'm still, you know, annoyed by it. I didn't like the finish. We talked about it on the instant analysis. You can hear my rant. You can hear Chris's rant on that show. Please do not forget to listen to that episode. But I still had, you know, 25% of my brain that's saying, okay, but on SmackDown, they may explain it. Paul Heyman may reveal who he was on the phone with. Maybe that was someone on the ring crew. Maybe he called in a favor. Maybe, you know, th- there's potential for it to work out. Whereas for the last year on Raw, you didn't trust it at all. It may, you know, they couldn't do anything that we would believe would be explained the next week. This, given that there's a draft, given that there's this one-off pay-per-view, Blood Money in the Sand 6, we always talk about WWE cramming a regular pay-per-view in the same month as the Crown Jewel show and rushing storylines and giving us a lot of crap on it, making it something not worth watching. Let me tell you right now, the first three matches for Crown Jewel that have been booked are huge. And if they put Biggie and Drew McIntyre on that show, that's huge also. So they are legitimately going to be building a super card for this show. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a good show. It doesn't mean I like it. it. doesn't mean I want to watch it, even though I will for this podcast. But you know, it doesn't seem, it seems like they may have learned some of their lessons from how the Saudi Arabia booking has really negatively impacted SmackDown and Raw over the last two years. It seems like, or I guess not last year because of the pandemic, but the year and a half prior to that, um, it seems like they may have learned some of those lessons. So I actually am kind of willing to wait and see. And, you know, to your point, uh, I think they've deserved it after the last three weeks. We will find out next week on Raw, and we're going to find out this Friday on SmackDown whether that attitude is deserved. It is the WWE draft. It is a time of the year where things are definitely in flux. So if you're going to do something like that, now is the time to kind of go give off, give us these one-off matches. Okay, Chris, with all of that out of the way, it's time to move into the rest of the show. It's going to be a long segment this week. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets funny and the days ain't sunny. We showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. So we are gonna start with the two mid-card championship matches. We had an intercontinental title match on SmackDown, US Championship match on Raw. We will start with SmackDown. Shinsuke Nakamura defending against Apollo Cruz. Cruz slammed Nakamura out of the ring onto the floor. Shinsuke came back with a sliding powerbomb, later a flying knee for a near fall. Cruz countered Kinshasa with a kick, caught Nakamura midair, tossed him over his shoulders for an awesome Samoan drop. 
Commander Aziz saved Cruz from a Kinshasa, and Rick Boog's spot of the match tossed Aziz like over his shoulder outside like he was a bag of sand or something like that. I couldn't believe it. The crowd lost its freaking mind. Nakamura then countered a fireman's carry into an arm bar that he used to trap Cruz in a pinning combination for a very unique one, two, three. The crowd went wild. This was a damn good match that would have benefited from another five minutes, but was still exceptionally entertaining. 3.5 stars and a B for me. Every person in the ring and outside did a great job. And it was a tremendous moment, despite there being very little storyline for it. But it was definitely good. Yeah, it it, it worked out. And, and Rick Boogs continues to be more over than anybody, I think, involved. And I, I wonder at one point when he breaks off, I hope they don't split them up here. I think you could do something where Nakamura turns heel and Boogs is the face. And I think that would be a really, really good and exciting story. Um, but yeah, this was... It was a lot better than I expected, I think, because the Intercontinental has gotten a bit stale with repeat matches at times, often for no reason. Um, but this was an entertaining TV segment type of match, so it was good. That's exactly what it was. It was a good way to get a title match on TV that with two people who can wrestle, who are really good wrestlers, and that was really the extent of it. Um, with the draft coming up, hopefully there's new challengers. Nakamura, so far, has had a decent reign, right? So credit to him. Everything is going somewhat well in the mid-card over on SmackDown. I also wanted to point out before we move on, the augmented reality for both of their entrances was pretty incredible. Cruz had gold lion statues on either side of him Mm -hmm. that roared, and Nakamura had these bright laser lights that kind of went into the screen, and he has that new um, Titan Tron with all the different colors and the King Nakamura, really big. I still hate that they're calling him King Nakamura. It makes no sense when he... Didn't win the crown in a tournament. He just took it from Baron Corbin. But regardless, aside from that, the AR stuff is not always good, such as Roman Reigns shoving his crotch in our face. It's still weird. I don't understand. He's like, he has eyes that make him look like um, Dr. Manhattan in The Watchmen, okay? Uh, But a lot of the AR stuff, to their credit, is really sick. Cruz Nakamura, Cesaro is awesome. The Demons is great. The Demons is really cool. There's a number of them that are pretty, pretty cool. And, and these were a couple of them. Um, all right. I promised uh, we're going to stay in the mid card. We'll move over to the United States Championship. Oh, wait, wait, we, 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 I guess we're giving this a good, right? I guess. Oh, I gave it a good. Did you not? I, 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 mean, I forgot to. I'm giving it a good. It's the rules. These are the rules of the game. You know, good, bad, ugly. So we're both on good. We'll move forward. We'll remember the rules the rest of the way. Uh, and by we, I mean you, Chris. That's a demerit <laughs> for you right now. Uh, United States Championship match. Damian Priest against... Sheamus, no DQ, no count out. I thought it was absurd that they ran this match, just as I thought it was absurd that Jeff Hardy got a chance to be added to the triple threat after already losing a singles match to Damian Priest. But Priest did explain it by saying he chose to defend the title because he wanted to end this shit with Sheamus once and for all. Okay, I'll take it. That's fine. Sheamus set up a table outside, hit white noise off the ring apron through it in a really sick spot. Sheamus again taunted on the top rope, this time doing Priest's bow and arrow thing instead of Hardy's dance. And when he flew off, Priest caught him with the kendo stick, laid into him with it. Sheamus drove Priest headfirst into a steel chair, propped up in a corner, then hit an Alabama slam for a 2.8. Priest countered a bro kick uh, with a thrown chair right at Sheamus's face or foot, I forgot which one. And then he hit South of Heaven for a near fall. 
Priest then hit the bell clap. And after some counters, he threw Sheamus into a table that was propped up in a corner. Then he hit the reckoning for the win. This was a certified banger. Four stars and an A minus for me. It was pure entertainment. Sheamus has not missed since returning from injury over a year ago. And Priest is still undefeated in singles matches on the main roster. And we definitely know what Vince McMahon was thinking watching this match. There's a lot of beef out here. This was definitely good. I had the same reaction to seeing this match announced of like, oh, we're just doing a rematch. You're calling it Extreme Rules. But technically, you know, the triple threat was a no disqualification. So it was the same thing. But yes, when you're told we're going to have a rematch here, but don't worry, it's going to be the last one. Then you're like, okay with it. You know, this has happened with a number of feuds. If you tell us it's going to be it's going to be done after this. Okay, I'll I'll give this one a shot. And yeah, this was a lot better and longer than I expected. This is the kind of match I originally thought we would get at Extreme Rules before Jeff Hardy got added to the match. Yep. Um, Properly brutal. Um, You know, it it, it was good. It was better than I expected. It's giving the segment a good here. Um, And I'm looking (laughs) forward to Priest moving on to something else now because I'm ready, really ready for him to get away from Sheamus. There's one thing I really like WWE does. They did it in the Roman Reigns Finn Balor match. They did it here too. You know, they don't do blading anymore, right? Purposeful blood. If someone bleeds, then they bleed. That's how it is. But WWE, when people get bruised up, they zoom in on that and use that to show you that the match is brutal. And they did it with both Priest and Sheamus. They actually zoomed in on Sheamus' like a huge bruise on the side of his body uh, during the match. And I appreciate that because if you're not going to give us the brutality of the blood, you got to figure out another way to show the audience that these guys are hurting themselves more than they would be in a regular wrestling match. And I thought they did a very good job with that here. Do you agree? Yeah. I, I, and Biggie got a bit, uh, I think Biggie might've gotten lip busted or something like that in, in, um, in his match as well. And they kind of emphasize it too. So yeah, it's, it's, it's notable that they're pointing it out. Okay. Let's move on. There was, this is not a title match, but there was one other tremendous men's wrestling match on Raw and SmackDown this week. And that was Riddle against AJ Styles. Riddle explained backstage that Randy Orton took the night off to recover and probably because he needed a break from Riddle. Uh, Riddle then talked to Orton. He was saying he was going to talk right to him. And instead of looking into the camera, he looked to the sky again. It's <laughs> really just funny stuff. It's like if Randy's not there, he's dead. It's just very funny. Uh, great wrestling was expected in this match. Great wrestling is what we got from this match. Riddle hit an incredible German suplex bridge on Styles for a near fall. Styles came back with a Pele kick, so Riddle hit a ripcord knee but maintained wrist control. Styles countered into a pump handle gut buster, but Riddle kicked the ropes when Styles tried a phenomenal forearm, falling with a penalty kick and springboard floating bro outside. Riddle tried a normal floating bro inside, but Styles caught him with double knees and a calf crusher. Riddle found the rope, uh, later caught Styles running with the knee to the face. Styles then countered an RKO with a freaking burning hammer and added the Styles clash for the win. Omos then chokeslammed Riddle just for good measure after the match. This was another certified banger, and it was even better than Priest Sheamus. It was just as good as Big E versus Lashley in the main event, the Steel Cage match. Riddle and Styles are incredible on their own, but they are even better together. It got a ton of time. They each got huge runs. There was a damn burning hammer in the match. That pump handle gut buster move was fantastic. Yes, 
This was a 4.25 star A match. Seriously, two A matches on one Raw. Can't believe it myself. Another 10 minutes, you're talking about something really special. That could have been a five-star match if it was for a title on a pay-per-view. I cannot praise it enough. I loved every single second about it. And if you can't tell already, it was obviously good. It is. It, it was good. It's getting a good rating. Um, this was an incredible match. And, and literally the only downside to it was that it was not hyped up to be an amazing match. Like it's freaking Riddle versus AJ Styles. You know, it's going to be a banger. I think they did this match a couple of weeks ago. And I and I made the same comment where it was like, they didn't even announce it pre-show that, hey, you're going to get Riddle AJ. Like that's the kind of shit that people are going to tune in for. And, and, and that's where it comes back to like, Sometimes they're a little bit too in the WWE mode where they're they're just kind of in this bubble as opposed to making Riddle versus AJ like feel like it's going to be an amazing thing because because it is it, it it's going to whether it's video packages whether it's just the way you kind of tell the story leading up to it. I mean, like AEW will just have random matches between two guys that are awesome and everybody's into it because you know this is a big deal. And we're still WWE still conditions its crowds that the most important thing is not the quality of the match. It's the character. And they often don't make that great of characters. There's not AJ Styles does not have much of a character right now. Riddle is Riddle is a very basic character. But if you could hype up that these guys are going to put on a freaking show for you. Right. And must like watch. must tune yeah, in. Yeah. Like this is going to be a must watch. Hype this crap up. This is really good stuff you, you're doing. You don't have Just, to hype it up the same way AEW did Danielson and Omega. But WWE, the way they hyped up Seth Rollins and Edge, the way they hyped up Randy yeah. Orton and Edge, um, matches like that, you can do. I think Daniel Bryan and Edge, they did as well. Um, you, these are all just with edge, but you get my point. Um, <laughs> you can hype this up too. You can say last week on raw, you can say next week on raw. Uh, you don't have to call it a dream match. This one is going to be a show. This is going to be a masterpiece riddle. AJ styles, the much anticipated rematch 9 PM tune in. Don't miss it. Right? Like, yeah, you want people to watch the show. You're competing with Monday night football. You need to actively get eyeballs on your program. Well, don't just do like a backstage segment where Riddle's making jokes and then you have the match. Yeah. Build this. Tell people like, it's going to happen. That, of course, though, Chris, I'll let you get in. That requires yeah. WWE booking in advance. And that's part of the problem. with Riddle. Right. The, the, the biggest the biggest thing I like, the biggest, the strongest thing AW does is make it feel like everybody who shows up on your screen matters. The, I, I think they've had an issue maybe creating the big stars, but the floor feels so high there because they build up anybody who shows up. There's a random guy who's never been on AW before, but they'll tell you that he just wrestled three matches the previous three days, and, 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 and he's beloved on the indies. And just like telling you this person matters and why they matter and why this is such a big deal really goes a long way. Instead of just saying, Riddle's making jokes, all right, they're going to have a match. Like, it just... It, it's You've got great wrestlers who do great stuff. Just let people know how awesome they are. Use your talent. That's one of the biggest disappointments of this last era of WWE, where they legitimately had the best roster mm -hmm. ever assembled. It may be in professional wrestling. I'm not saying the best wrestlers. Obviously, New Japan has a ton of great wrestlers. AEW does too. But for a period of time when 
when Miro was over there and Andrade and Alistair Black and Daniel Bryan and all those guys they just lost, um, Adam Cole, WWE had top to bottom the entirety of the brand of the company, the best wrestling roster I think ever assembled. And a lot of those guys that are gone that I just mentioned, um, they didn't use them to the fullest extent of their ability. They didn't promote them to the fullest extent of their ability. And that's what all those issues are. All right, let's keep going on with the good, the bad, and the ugly. On SmackDown, Seth Rollins appeared backstage and told Edge he was disappointed. It's been a week since his ultimatum without a response. He said Edge's silence is deafening, revealing that he's hurt bad and may never compete in WWE again. Rollins demanded Edge show up at SmackDown next week, admit Rollins is superior, etc., or he again threatened to come to his home and beat him. I thought this was a stellar promo from Rollins and way more captivating than the one last week that bored both of us completely in the ring. In large part, this was better because it was shorter. Um, I love yeah. the threat of going to Edge's home. As we discussed on last week's show, it's always entertaining when wrestling things happen outside of the ring and outside of the arena. Unfortunately, Edge said on Twitter that he'll be at SmackDown next week. My only negative of this entire thing was that WWE aired half of his promo from last week. And this is part of what I was talking about. Yeah. You didn't need to air that when Rollins was going to cut a brand new fresh promo. <laughs> it wasted yeah. TV time repeating shit we've already seen. Rollins in some ways repeated himself in the promo and that cuts into match time and time for other people just to get on TV on SmackDown unnecessarily. But outside of that, this promo, huge step up from last week and it was good. Yes, exactly what you said. We didn't need a video package of a promo leading to another promo. It, Come on. I I'm, I was disappointed to see Edge is going to be there next week after twice hinting that he might go to Edge's house. Like, that's way, it's just way more interesting. Don't tell us that if it's not going to happen. Um, so we'll see what happens next week. But but uh, yeah, this is a lot like last week, but just, you know, shorter and sweeter and better. And uh, it was good. Speaking of promos, uh, Goldberg cut a taped promo on Raw telling Bobby Lashley that he, he will fulfill the promise he made to his wife and son to protect Gage Goldberg, also known as Sunberg, at all costs <laughs> after Lashley choked him out at SummerSlam. He said he'll hurt and maybe even kill Lashley, and he'll probably enjoy doing it. Goldberg said Lashley is about to be his next victim. He didn't say Crown Jewel. We all know this match is going to happen at Crown Jewel. I thought it was actually a solid promo from Goldberg, with the exception of two things. The kill line, it's so unnecessary to go there when it's WWE, but I understand he wanted to get to that extra level, but it's the second time he did it. In his other promo coming out of, I think, the rehab facility, I think he said the same thing with the kill line. Um, just say, I want to end your career. You don't need to say, I'm going to kill you. To me, that was weird. The other thing I didn't like, and it's really just an interior design comment, uh, did you see that painting um, behind Goldberg's shoulder of his muscled arm with the tattoo, the tribal tattoo, holding his naked child um, in the background. I didn't see that. You got to go and look at like a video of that promo. Look it up like before we finish the show while we're talking. Yeah. I mean, look, to each their own, right? Like Goldberg, I'm not trying to get on your bad side, but that painting is ridiculous. Um, if I ever have a kid, I promise I will never do anything okay, like that. Okay, I pulled it up. I pulled it up. <laughs> okay. So, but, yeah. but okay, besides that, it was a passionate promo. Lashley not being champion, fighting Goldberg, Goldberg fighting in a non-title match at Crown Jewel, Blood Money in the Sand Six. All of that is actually a positive. These are the types of ways you want to use legends. And these are the types of ways, um, you know, the types of matches you don't want to put on a pay-per-view, but you want to put 
on a show like Blood Money in the Sand. So for me, I got to say, this was good. It was a good use of Goldberg. Yeah, I'm giving it a good, but there's a few things to talk about, some of which you touched on. One, talking about murdering Bobby Lashley. Yeah, we don't need that. We also don't need that, you know, in a show that's going to be in Saudi Arabia, which has strained relations right now over, you know, murdering people. people. Yes. Yeah. So that was that. Um, I think the lights were just too bright. He was squinting the whole time. I feel like they should have just handled that a bit better because one of his eyes was like, looked like it was closed the entire time. Um, But everything else, the promo was fine. And I liked that. Also, they didn't promote this until like in the middle of the show. They're like, oh, by the way, we're going to have Goldberg. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And I honestly, I was okay with that because you didn't want it to overshadow Lashley being in a title match. And I like multiple things going on at once. I liked Finn and Biggie and other people interested in Roman at the same time. I'm fine with Biggie. And Goldberg both interested in Lashley at the same time here. So it was actually the right amount of like promoting something for Blood Money in the Sand without it like mattering all that much at the time. So that was that was fine. So, yeah, I'll give it a good. I don't want to see a ton of promo for Crown Jewel on my TV. You're going to. I know we're we're probably going to get it in the coming weeks now, especially without there being an October pay-per-view. But like this was an example of like, okay, something's happening there. If you're interested, here's what's going on, but you don't need to super pay attention. That's yeah. So what I kind of wish they did was they almost had separate storylines and portions of the show for Crown Jewel. And then the rest of it was building towards an October pay-per-view. Now, I didn't like when they did two in the same month just because it was convoluted and they tried to book two WWE championship matches two weeks apart from each other on pay-per-view. Right. And they tried to do two storylines simultaneously. But I don't mind if you have you know, legend matches and special things for Crown Jewel. Uh, we're talking that they're going to announce, I guess, uh, the the initial thought was they were going to start the actual matches for King of the Ring and this Queen's Crown tournament that are going to happen this Friday on SmackDown. I guess maybe they'll just announce them. Uh, we'll find out, obviously, on Friday. Um, but the finals of those are both going to be there. Doing something like that, you know, I love King of the Ring. You guys know, longtime listeners going back to... Mm. Um, in this corner and State of Combat, the old shows that I was on. Uh, You guys know I'm a massive King of the Ring fan. I think it's ridiculous that WWE has stopped doing it. uh, They do it like every fourth year for a storyline reason, obviously, most recently, two years ago with Corbin. Um, But to do it for something like this, do I love that the finals would be there? No. Does it make sense? Yeah. And it actually creates some interesting television to kind of maybe get you to watch this show. So I am okay with some of the things WWE is doing this year. I just hate that we're basically going to go two months without a real pay-per-view. The next one's going to be a brand versus brand battle. So we're not going to get another real show where SmackDown titles and Raw titles are contested on pay-per-view until December at WWE TLC. However, what that does mean is that those matches can happen on television, which gives Raw and SmackDown an opportunity to start the new year, the new um, contract year that they have with Fox and USA Network, respectively, to give some big matches across a bunch of shows over a two-month period of time. So maybe it's all going to work out. And and maybe by not having that second pay-per-view in October, it'll kind of all coalesce into better television shows. We're going to see, we'll find out. As far as Goldberg, this was good. 
And lastly, well, one lastly, Chris, one, one, no, one yeah. more thing about Goldberg. And then I, I want you, yeah. I want to get your take on it. Um, I, I know a lot of people are upset about Bobby Lashley losing recently. He's lost three matches. If you're going to have him lose to Lashley, you might as well have the guy on a losing streak at that point. Right. So you lose, lose to Goldberg. Uh, sorry. Lose to Goldberg. Yes. So if you're going to have him lose to Goldberg and you already just had him lose to Big E three times, sure. Have him lose to Goldberg. That's fine. Then you refresh him coming out of that. That's it. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, that's what they told leading into Money in the Bank was Lashley lost a couple matches. He had to refocus, and he did, and he whooped on Kofi. Maybe that happens, and he needs to refocus, and MVP comes back or something. I, I don't know. I, I that, that, would, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. The other thing, got to book the match five, ten years from now. Hook versus Sunberg. <laughs> I think we all want to see it, uh, so let's hope it happens down the road. What about Braun Breaker versus Sunberg? Well, Braun's going to break him uh, if it happens anytime soon. So, hey, yeah, look, uh, Sunberg. Actually, it should be probably Sunberg versus Dominic Mysterio. Yeah, throw him in there, too. We can yeah. have a whole we can have a whole uh, fatal four way. Yeah, a whole fatal four way, five way of, of kid wrestlers. All right, let's keep going here. And I am going to tell you uh, there's still some good stuff coming. Trust me, don't don't get me wrong, but things are going to turn a little bit bad and ugly here. Uh, we had Nikki Ash against Natalia. Uh, I was excited when I saw Nikki would be, be in a singles match. Because I thought it would be against Shotzi Blackheart or Tegan Knox. Nope. The same shit. Rhea Ripley took out Tamina at ringside. The referee got distracted, which allowed Nikki to catch Natalia with an inside cradle for a win in, you guessed it, two minutes. Don't forget, this was after the Liv Morgan, Zelina Vega shit fest that I talked about on Extreme Rules. That was in the same edition of SmackDown. Why can't Nikki just beat freaking Natalia? clean in a five or six minute match. What would have happened? Would the earth have imploded upon itself? Would SmackDown no longer be a good show? Would Natalia be ruined as a wrestler? No, no, no. Give me one reason why Nikki could not have beaten Natalia in a five or six minute match. You can't because it was stupid, this booking. It was absolutely fucking ugly. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yep, I don't really have anything to add other than, other than that. I mean, we'll, we'll, this segment will be as long as the match, essentially. So, yep. Okay, and then lastly, Shotzi and Knox uh, rolled out in their tank, shot a missile at the champions, basically, quote-unquote, calling their shot for the titles. That's great. It's obviously deserved, given they beat the former champions three damn times without receiving a title match. But, man, my enthusiasm for that was so drained by the match, and plus... There's like no women's tag teams left on either brand at this point. Those are like the only two because now Nia Jax is hurt and they also uh, broke up her and, Sh- and uh, Shayna Baszler finally. Eva Marie and Dewdrop are not a couple anymore. So there's literally no more tag teams. I expect that to be rectified in the WWE draft. I do think this is finally when we get Casey Catanzaro and Casey Caden Carter called up to the main roster. But man, like... <laughs> my enthusiasm for this entire thing. Like I love Shotzi Knox. They should have been the champions, um, but they're not now. And so if Nikki and Rhea Ripley beat them, there's no one else really to contest with for the titles. Yeah. Also the, um, the, the missile they shot, that was an explosion of a missile. And it, I don't know where it landed, but that thing exploded out of the tank. So I guess I got some real uh, torque on there. Yeah. I like their gimmick, but we're, they gave a Shotzi Knox. The crowd loved it. People were really excited. And then they just took them off TV. Yep. 
It, it just it didn't make no any planning. sense. No planning. It's a problem. Yeah. Uh, so Naomi hit the ring on SmackDown to say she's been disrespected. She demanded a match and dared anyone to come fight her. Sonya Deville came out to say she's the one who makes the matches. Naomi challenged Deville, who said she'd smack the glow off her face, but won't because she's not a competitor. She's Naomi's boss. Naomi started a make the match chant, so DeVille cut her mic off and even got security. DeVille said, the only thing that works for Naomi is her entrance. She's failed at every chance she's been given. The crowd booed the shit out of Sonya DeVille. This worked extremely well. It's playing into the reality of Naomi's lack of use over the years and giving the chance, giving the fans a chance to get behind her even more than they already are as she starts up as a competitor again. They still have to follow through with this, Chris, but for what we got on Friday, it was definitely good. Yeah, no, this is the hottest thing on the show, I think, other than the demon at the very end of SmackDown. Fans loved it. People are really into this. They're telling the story. You just, you got to land the plane, though, and and I, I hope they can do that. SmackDown's issues with the women's roster, we have documented those, so... We will see, but you also got to pull the trigger quick enough too. You can't do this for like another month. I don't think I I, I don't know because um, this is hot right now. So I hope they, they time it right. What's your grade for this? Oh, good. And good, what was, good, your, good, good, and what was good. your grade for Nikki Ash and Natalia? It was the same as you. Ugly. Ugly. Okay. Yes. Uh, we'll move on to the raw women's division and I'm going to just throw it all together because that's what it felt like on Monday night. You had Shayna Baszler uh, refuse to answer backstage when asked to explain what she did to Nia Jax last week. Fans always talk about wanting a silent badass. That's literally what WWE is doing with Baszler. I can't wait to see where this goes for her. I hope it is a main event push for a Raw or SmackDown Women's Championship. We had a Raw Women's title match, Charlotte Flair against Dewdrop. This was an open challenge that Dewdrop answered backstage to Pierce and DeVille. Dewdrop hit her running senton on Flair when Eva Marie came out one minute into the match, Flair hit mm-hmm. Dewdrop from behind, hit natural selection, and won with the one, two, three. Flair then got pissed and clotheslined Eva to stand tall. A few minutes later, Eva cut a promo saying she'd have won the Raw Women's title if she got the chance instead of Dewdrop. Baszler came out to the ring, tapped her ass out in seconds in the Carafuda clutch. Then she twisted her hand backwards on the steel step and stomped on it as Eva screamed in pain. And WWE Today on Tuesday announced that Eva has a dislocated shoulder. The crowd chanted one more time very loud and were totally behind Baszler. And then I think WWE, for the only time on Raw, piped in booze. I think they want her to be a heel, even though she's taking out Nia Jax and Eva Marie, who are heels, and fans like that and want to cheer for Baszler. Maybe I'm wrong and it was the crowd, but I didn't see a single person in the crowd boo, yet I heard a loud booze. So I think it was piped in. Didn't make sense to me. Uh, Super Brutality, that's uh, Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash, then cut a promo with Ripley saying opposites attract and Nikki trying to get them to decide on matching outfits. Ripley rolled her eyes and walked away. I grouped all of this together, Chris, because it was basically one long extended women segment on Raw and it was the only time we got women on the entire show. Now, to be fair to WWE, they put every single available woman for Raw on the show as everyone else in the division is either injured, out, or pregnant. However, considering Flair Dewdrop basically by design had to be the only match, they still only gave it one minute, which is absolutely pathetic before Eva's distraction. Knowing there was only going to be one match, 
They couldn't have given them on a three-hour show five to seven minutes to wrestle before you have Eva Marie cause a distraction. Again, it's a three-hour show. The fact that it didn't get any time and the fact that Eva is still somehow involved in feuding with Dewdrop after we thought it had finally ended last week is just absurd. Everything else was good. The Baszler stuff, uh, the super brutality stuff. I'll split the difference between good and ugly. I'll just say this was bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say bad because the end result that they told us, especially with Shayna, you know, injuring Marie, even Marie and knocking her out. Okay, that got us to a spot. And I agree with the boost because the fans are chanting one more time, one more time. <laughs> so I don't think they're I don't think they're booing. And Shayna was like smiling at that. So and Eva's a heel. Like why why were we gonna <coughs> why are we not gonna be okay with that? Um the dewdrop Charlotte stuff, man, again, that's an example of going back to treating all of your wrestlers like they matter and what you could do if that was the case. We we are we have been they're conditioning us to think Dewdrop is I don't know what she does a dance or something, and that that's the extent of her character. We still don't know who she is, why she's here, yada yada yada. You know why she want to be a wrestler, all these kinds of things, just basic stuff. If you tell us these people we're seeing are real people, we will invest in them. But they don't want us to do that with Dewdrop. She's just supposed to do a dance and do this shit with Eva Marie. Imagine if we had just been told for a minute, hey, here's Dewdrop's backstory. Oh, okay. I, I want her to beat Charlotte now. And then you have a five minute match where things are really back and forth. And I don't like Eva Marie interfering, but then you do the Eva Marie interference. And then you get really mad and then it goes on. It's just like, like I on paper, Charlotte versus Dewdrop should be great, but what they gave us was garbage. Yep. Altogether, I think I'll give everything a bad. Cool. We're on the same page there. I think we've been on the same page on almost everything today so far. Uh, happy talk. There was a vignette of Happy Corbin getting spoiled and suited up. Then Corbin said this was the opposite of the KO show, which is always so sad and negative. Uh, Corbin was his own guest. Kevin Owens eventually came out charging at Corbin, only to be pounced out of nowhere by a returning Riddick Moss who was laughing and smiling. They did a double choke slam on Owens into some steel steps and then continued laughing at him. This actually, for me, you may disagree, other people may disagree. This actually worked for me as a return for Riddick Moss. I'm glad to see him on TV again. The manic laughing, though, is a turnoff. I'm okay with the laughing and being happy, and I get the gimmick, you're rich, you're happy, all that type of stuff. Tune it down 50% of the way. Laugh a little bit, not consistently, like something is wrong with you, like you're the Joker. Like, um, who's the who's the new Joker? Jared Leto? No, the new Joker. Like the, the one who did the solo movie. Oh, um, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix, okay? Jared Leto, by the way, is a terrible Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is a great Joker. You don't need to be that, right? Just be <laughs> someone who, more million-dollar man style, right? Where you're rich and you're happy and you laugh at other people's misfortunes. You don't have to like manically like laugh. Like you literally have something mentally wrong with you. So that was a little over the top. But for people who remember Riddick Moss in NXT, uh, his tag team with Tino Sabatelli, it was about him being an ex-football player, being rich. And so he actually really fits. He's a good-looking dude. Him and Corbin fit together. The idea of them being a tag team, if they go that far, I think that works. 
So I like the introdu- introduction of Moss. I like what they're doing with Corbin. I wish the down and out poor guy had lasted a little bit longer, but it's clear they had all of this planned on SmackDown because they knew they were going to go to Vegas. They knew that'd be an opportunity for him to get his riches back. So to my shock, honestly, I'm saying good. Uh, I'm torn between good and bad. I mostly just was kind of ambivalent toward it all. Like when, when it had the Logan Paul, was it Logan Paul? When it had the Logan Paul stuff, like that really got me into it and, and him and KO shoving each other and, and Corbin interfering. Like that was legitimately interesting. Now we're basically replacing that with Riddick Moss and it's just kind of whatever. Like it's not, it's not bad. It just already feels like I'm going to get sick of a Corbin gimmick change real quick, even though it just happened. And I don't know. I, I'm between good and bad. I, I guess I'll give it a good because I didn't hate it yet, but I just felt like, man, Kevin Owens deserves more. And I thought the Logan Paul stuff was going to kind of give him a, a bit of a shine. And we don't have a pay-per-view coming up anytime soon. So I don't know. I guess I'll give it a good, but reluctantly so. Okay, okay. You don't have to. I mean, you can give it a bad if you don't like it. But um, it's, I'm just—it's kind of meh. I just—I'm just kind of meh on it. I just like new people coming in. Like we've got this, like these people. Um, Rick Boogs, Commander Aziz. I hate the name, obviously. Omas. Now, the Riddick Moss. It's like fresh blood's a good thing. Now, I don't yeah. like that they. Re- I don't like that WWE released people. But it is a good thing to get fresh faces on television. And it does feel like things are not the same monotonous shit that we got for a long time. This Corbin gimmick's new and different. And I just happen to like Riddick Moss. By the way, um, for anyone who ever watched them, and I do not blame you if you didn't, NXT did those combines two times on the WWE Network. Riddick Moss won the male version of the combine. So this is a top tier athlete. He's also a former football player, as I mentioned. So this is a guy who can work and he can wrestle too. So I am kind of excited to see him on TV. Uh, We'll move over to Raw. 24-7 championship, Reggie versus Ricochet. I immediately had the worst feeling inside. I'm like, oh my God, not only is Ricochet in this match, they're going to have him lose to freaking Reggie. Luckily, that didn't happen. But the 24-7 wrestlers sat behind the barricade at ringside. They did flippy shit, uh, Reggie and Ricochet. Ricochet had a great tope con hero. And then Drake Maverick called for the intentional disqualification because he had a master plan to take the title off Reggie. Ricochet got up on all the 24-7 guys as Reggie ran away. I'm really between good and bad here because it was actually comical. And even though I hate the way they're using the 24-7 title because it could legitimately be used as something meaningful, I like that they're at least giving it a storyline. It's not all roll-up finishes. They are going away from the worst part of what 24-7 was. But I'm going to go bad simply because this is how they're using Ricochet. He didn't even get to wrestle despite this being the lowest of the low card. It lasted two minutes. Let the guy wrestle at least. Like this is one of the most entertaining wrestlers in the world. I'm not saying he's one of the best, but he is incredible in the ring and fans pop for big moves. Let him wrestle. This wasn't ugly, but it was bad. Yeah, it's a bad. And it's the same thing with Charlotte and Dewdrop where it's like, it could have been great. And there's no reason it wasn't better. There's no reason it wasn't extended a bit to really make the people involved look good. The entire point was to get to a post-match thing and everybody was worse off for it. I don't know if Reggie can do a full match or not, but... He can go five minutes. We've seen him go five minutes with women. 
Yeah. So like, man, like freaking Reggie and Ricochet, those guys are freaking acrobats. And they, we got a couple of flips and that was it. And it's like, man, that it's a bad because it could have been it easily could have been so good. And it wasn't. And yeah. that's that's just not getting out of your own way because you because more important than guys doing cool shit that people like is this gimmick that's kind of funny but i don't think people really care about it all that much so just yep. a missed opportunity yep you nailed it uh keith bearcat lee versus akira tozawa after the commercial break tozawa was still in the ring from that 24 7 stuff he demanded a match with he kept naming all the 24 7 guys but he was surprised when lee made his entrance keith tossed him around twice hit the big bang catastrophe the bbc for short and beat tozawa in seconds uh, he had his facial hair back that we all liked from NXT, mm -hmm. and he looked to be in great shape. It looked, it honestly looked like Keith lost like 25 or 30 pounds, honestly. Uh, this was good in every way. Keith looked good. Commentary sold the tweaked name as ferocious, and Lee showed some heel tendencies with his body language and facial expressions. It was also a nice touch that he redebuted in Cincinnati, home of the Bearcats. So it all just kind of fit together in a nice little package. Uh, look, I want Keith Lee to cut promos. I want him wrestling on my television. He is great. He is a main eventer, potentially. This was good. So I had to watch this part on my phone um, for a minute because I was doing some stuff. So I didn't quite get the full experience. Um, did they call him Keith Lee at ever? Because I kept hearing commentary saying Bearcats this, Bearcats They definitely called that. him Keith Lee. Yes. Okay, good. Because I did. I don't want his name to be Bearcat. No, like one does. It, it should Agreed. be. It, it should be secondary to Keith Lee. Also, I much prefer Bearcat Keith Lee over Keith Bearcat Lee. Me too. Same with um, like in AEW. I don't like Adam Hangman Page. I like Hangman Adam Page. I don't know. Yeah. I you know I don't know why you'd throw it in the middle. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. it's honestly like I, I know he basically was Randy Macho Man Savage, but Macho Man Randy Savage just that, sounds way better. That's another one, yes. Yeah, so yep. I do make it Bearcat Keith Lee. Um, did they explain the name Bearcat at all? I know obviously there's Bearcat right in the, the, yeah, the history they, of the They did wrestler. not explain I, it that way. I have a feeling that'll be something that... And, the, and I did not watch, by the way, Raw Talk. He was Keith Lee on Raw Talk and he cut a promo. I probably should have watched it given, oh, okay. given this was a re-debut. Maybe he said something about it there. Um, I don't know that they're going to blatantly say that on TV. No, I was, but, I but was as long curious. as that's the reason why that's his name, then I'm okay with it. You know? Yeah. So just, yeah, it was good. It, this was definitely good. I just, I, the way I watched it, I was getting concerned that they were going to do Bearcat like they did the demon and it was going to kind of mess the whole thing up. But, uh, sounds like you were pretty into it. So it's I was, I was into it. I liked it. Um, I, could I see, could I see a scenario one day? Where he becomes Bearcat Lee, maybe. Like I could, I could see them possibly doing that. That that works. It's honestly. not terrible, but Keith Lee is a really good wrestling name on its own, and there's mm -hmm. really not a good reason to do that. I mean, they do call him Hangman Page in AEW, just as you know, means of comparison. And they did call Randy Savage just Macho Man, right? Um, but they also never called Shawn Michaels just Heartbreak Kid. You know what I mean? Like in terms of yeah. like during a match, so. I do hope he remains Keith Lee. Keith Lee's the name. Bearcat's the gimmick. I'm not, I'm not against it. it. He looks pretty cool. Uh, he's still got his general style and the facial hair works for him. Uh, 
just since you mentioned, by the way, the demon thing, I, um, really briefly here. So on our instant analysis, our extreme rules, I mentioned that Michael Cole only called Finn Balor the demon. And it seemed like he was saying it four times a sentence. Well, someone did a compilation tape of the demon mentions, and then someone counted the demon mentions. So luckily it wasn't just me that thought it. I set the over under Chris at 150 for Michael Cole alone. The entire uh, time during the match, demon was mentioned 126 times. (laughs) I believe it was by Cole and Pat McAfee. So not as much as I thought, I probably should have reduced um, my prediction or my over under, but they said demon 126 times. That is the problem with WWE commentary and not even Pat McAfee could have saved it. No, and and you know that was a directive from Vince. Vince and or Bruce, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Cole and McAfee are great. And outside of stuff like that, I they are they did a really good job at Extreme Rules. They were one of the highlights of the show. But yeah, that was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. All right, let's move on back to uh, Raw and SmackDown. We'll stay with Raw. Is everything else here on Smack on Raw? Yeah, everything else except one thing at the very end is Raw going forward. We had Jeff Hardy, Mustafa Ali, and Mansoor against Jinder Mahal, Veer, and Shanky. Ali was giving Mansoor a lot of shit backstage for booking their match with Hardy as a partner, threatening to talk shit to Hardy's face. When, of course, Hardy showed up and Ali quickly got silent. Mansoor fully marked out for Jeff doing his dance and all this stuff. <laughs> Ali was left alone as everyone else brawled outside the ring. Veer ran him over and hit a massive lariat for the one, two, three. Corey Graves sold the lariat as uh, Veer having a million dollar arm, which is a reference to his former life as Rinku Singh, that's his real name, who he was actually the million dollar arm from that movie, mm-hmm. the Disney movie that came out. Uh, he he was, I think, drafted or scouted by Major League Baseball team. This was an unoffensive segment. I guess I'll say good because it wasn't bad, but it, I was ambivalent and different to it. So it was a bunch of nothing. Yeah, Raw has these segments typically involving Ali that are just kind of nothing, but they're not bad. They're they're good for what they are, essentially. Um, I like uh, Mansoor and Ali, frankly. Just Me too. them interacting with each other. I Hope they continue to go down that road. But clearly, the dissension between them is causing them to lose these last couple of weeks and something will come of it. I hope they don't break up yet because they were barely a tag team. But, um, you know, that's fine. One thing I hope they do in the draft, I would love to see Mansoor and Ali over on SmackDown just because Raw has a ton, literal ton of tag teams and SmackDown does not. In this draft, they need to make sure they get at least one or two teams over to SmackDown. And Ali and Mansoor, I think, just by virtue of being on a shorter show in a division that's not as deep, they'd get more opportunity. I'd love to see Ali and Mansoor against the Usos in a title feud, like really, really good face team against really, really good heel team. I do like, as you said, Mansoor and Ali together. They just, they seem to work well together. Um, All right, uh, Dominic Mysterio. I was wrong. Okay, we do have something on SmackDown. My bad. Uh, Dominic Mysterio finally told off Ray backstage saying, that his father has been way too overbearing and straight up cost him his last two matches against Sami Zayn. Ray said he's not thinking straight and left to give Dominic space. Sami then walked into the locker room, said Dominic can be as good or better than his dad. Uh, He nicely suggested Dom start listening to Ray a little bit less and start trusting his instincts a little bit more. To my surprise, this was really well done. Rather than WWE forcing one of the Mysterios to turn heel, 
they're creating legitimate animosity over an issue that makes total sense. And I kind of like the idea of Sammy being like the devil on Dominic's shoulder and mm-hmm. maybe even getting into his head a little bit to try to convince him that WWE doesn't have his back. Ray doesn't have his back. He needs to be his own man. And then eventually there's a feud with Sammy and Ray. Ray wins and proves to his son that, of course, he should listen to him. He's his father. He knows what's best for him. So I actually thought this was good. Yeah, it, it was fine. I, I, the, the Ray Dominic stuff had been kind of dragging for a bit. So clearly they're kind of moving it in this other direction. And it, it could it was fine. It's another kind of low card. Not much going on, but it was fine. On Raw, we had Eric against Angel Garza in a singles match. The heels, uh, Garza and Umberto Creo, were sold as incredibly handsome, which, let's be honest, duh, they are incredibly handsome. Uh, Eric dominated Garza until Carrillo jumped on the ring apron to distract him with a fake rose. Maybe he could have done something better than that. Garza, Garza then caught Eric distracted with the wing clipper for the one, two, three. Typical heel antics here. If it was a roll-up, I'd probably complain. But I actually didn't mind this as WWE is clearly trying to give these guys a chance to get over because I was fine with it. I'll say good. Yeah, it's kind of the same as the last couple too. So on paper, you're like, well, Garza beat Eric. That's kind of surprising. But they're trying something here with with the tag team division. You know, we we have you just mentioned there are so many tag teams on Raw. You got to try to do some different things. Now, I don't think it's going as well as SmackDown does when it comes to building up tag teams, but um, they're trying and you give them credit. Well, the, the problem is Raw has a ton of tag teams right now, right? but the two feuding for the title are, you know, two really strong. It's AJ Styles and Omos and RK Bro, RK Bro, obviously mm-hmm. the champions. They're so strong that you really can't have Garza and Creo or Mustafa Ali and Mansoor be like the next challengers. So they're finding things for them to do while everyone else is kind of waiting in limbo and while we wait for the draft. So because of that, I'm okay. And then Karrion Cross versus Jackson Riker. Cross again looked really good cutting another promo in a smoky room. And then five seconds later, he's making his entrance in the absurd gladiator gear. The juxtaposition of those two things is just maddening when you know that they can allow this guy to cut good promos but are simultaneously treating him like an absolute joke when it comes to in the ring. It doesn't make any sense. Cross at the Doomsday Saito that they're now calling a Doomsday Suplex and the cross jacket for the win. I guess I'll just stick with bad instead of ugly, given it wasn't offensive, but the finish was kind of botched. Jackson Riker on my TV. Why are we still doing this? How is this guy still employed? And what the fuck happened to those Elias vignettes that we now have not seen for the last three weeks? <laughs> Told you. Told you. So, like, what the hell is going on here? So it was bad. I-, I somehow avoided ugly here because I was so offended by the women's booking on SmackDown. That was truly ugly. But this was bad. Yeah. I mean, the promo was fine. Promos are good. Everything else was bad. And it's the same. It's the same stuff. Like. <sighs> It's so weird. Like, it's so bad, this costume. I don't get it. And yeah, Jackson Riker just being on my screen in general. And I told you when the Elias stuff came out, I said, these are interesting, but we got to see if they go somewhere because they stop and start these things all the time. We all remember Emelina. And uh, yeah, who the hell knows? Maybe, maybe, Maybe he'll be drafted. Maybe, I don't know, but. To go now several weeks without this, they so often start things and it doesn't feel like they have a plan. And 
you know, maybe it'll come up, but yeah, no, bad. And then lastly, uh, there was a moment on SmackDown where Alpha Academy approached the Usos and stared them down, basically kind of declaring themselves the next challengers. And the truth is they deserve it. Um, because even though there's been a, a lot of a f- interference in their matches, Otis has been dominant and Chad Gable has been pretty good as like his leader and his partner. Um, they're as good as anyone else to be next in line. And I like that they teased it a little bit early before I assume this Friday, they'll maybe start a little bit of storyline to go in that direction. Yeah, I was I was very intrigued. I, I mean, not to mention it's heel versus heel tag team, but that's what I'm saying. SmackDown has built up its tag teams in a way where they all feel legitimate and they're all kind of interesting. And um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens on Friday coming out of this. I, it's a quick little thing. I mean, I'll give it a good. Yeah, right. I, I, I wasn't going to do a grade for this, but yeah, sure. It was good. Yes, it was positive development on TV. Uh, so that's it. That's the good, the bad and the ugly. That is this week's edition, uh, WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Uh, Chris, like I said, we have a pretty big week here. Kind of came out of nowhere. We didn't expect to do this much, but we already have our WWE Extreme Rules instant analysis in the can. If for some reason you listen to this whole show and still haven't listened to that, please do. I want you guys to hear what we had to say about Roman Reigns and Finn Balor, the demon Finn Balor, um, and Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair with the return of Sasha Banks, plus the rest of that show. Uh, We were positive about many of the matches uh, leading into those co-main events. So please do not forget to listen to that instant analysis. We will be back, as promised, this Wednesday night with a full breakdown from AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and the latest edition of NXT. And then Thursday afternoon, a bonus episode, we will do our WWE mock draft, as well as a review, analysis, thoughts, breakdown, whatever you want to call it, of the Dark Side of the Ring, Plane Ride from Hell episode. All of that coming up here this week on Getting Over. For now, though, a reminder that Getting Over So please do not forget, we don't ask for much. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show. I got to tell you, Chris, um, we've maybe mentally conditioned our audience a little bit because our latest review on Apple Podcasts, it's five stars in the headline, which is great. Thank you. It's a five-star review. And the review itself from Sway underscore 14 is the word thick and a meat emoji. That's the, that's the <laughs> review. Thick meat. So, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. You got a shout out in a recent review. Chris is the best podcast host on the face of the planet. Uh, I would argue that, but he's very good. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. And, and I'm glad he's a co-host. And then also recently, uh, Big Meaty as the title. Awesome show, Silver King. Big Meaty Men Slapping. So, okay. Uh, shit's going down here. I appreciate all those recent reviews. Thank you guys uh, for giving them to us. Of course, also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We did plenty of WWE talk over the last 48 hours, Chris. So with all of that in the books, I'm going to leave you guys with just three final words. Bye for now.